The year of changing my life was the result of a place of real struggle um, and not knowing how to change my life and wanting to and like starting all kinds of exercise programs. I was sedentary, not being able to stick to them for very long, trying all kinds of diets. I was overweight, um, probably like 60 pounds heavier than I am now, not being able to stick to that, uh, trying to like, you know, get out of debt. And I was deeply in debt and not being able to do that. So I was just trying to quit smoking. I tried seven times and failed each time. So it was, it was a place of darkness and I found a way out. That's Leo Babauta, this week on the Ritual Podcast. The Ritual Podcast. If you're a longtime listener to this podcast, then you know full well that topics like minimalism, mindfulness, and sustainable living are favorite recurring themes of this show from Andrew Morgan talking about our cultural addiction to fast fashion to people like Jason Garner, Dan Harris, Charlie Knowles, Guru Singh, Wuda, and many others talking about the potency of meditation to my conversation with Joshua Fields Milburn, who espouses the virtues of minimalism, living more with less. Perhaps you even watched Joshua's documentary, Minimalism. And if you did, you may recall seeing Leo Babauta featured in that film. Leo is a husband, a father of six, and creator of the wildly popular Zen Habits blog, which is one of the largest single author blogs in the world with over a million readers. It was named to one of Time Magazine's top 10 blogs uh, for a few years running. And Leo was and is one of, if not the first major blogger or prominent voices on the internet to advocate the power and the beauty of finding simplicity and mindfulness in the chaos of our daily existence, how to clear the mental, emotional, financial, and physical clutter so that we can focus on what's most important, create something amazing, find contentment and meaning and purpose in our lives. My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. And this week, I sit down with Leo, who is an extraordinary human whose work was absolutely instrumental in influencing and impacting my personal transformation and continues to this day to significantly inspire my path and the path of multitudes of people all over the world. Uh, I got a few more things I want to say about Leo and this conversation, but first, a couple quick announcements. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, 
And just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality, previously unheard of, that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking Ons high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. Okay, so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Leo. He's just so thoughtful, so present. This is a guy who really walks his talk and is a true living, breathing example of the powerful ideas that uh, he espouses. So this is a conversation about creating personal boundaries. It's about greed versus ambition. It's about combating our consumerist obsessions. It's about, of course, meditation, yoga, mindfulness, uh, veganism, homeschooling, unschooling, but mostly it's about self-mastery not only how to create and sustain new habits that serve you, but how to uh, effectively utilize certain tools and strategies to optimally deal with stress, anxiety, guilt, shame, remorse. In effect, 
the perils, the beauty, and the general gestalt of the human condition that we collectively share. So I absolutely love this talk, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, I give you Leo Babauta. All right, man, let's do it. All right. So good to uh, good to talk to you. Good to finally meet you in person. It's been many, many, many years in the making, and it's an absolute thrill, man. I'm so glad to have you here today. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really an honor to be sitting here in front of you. So I thought it would be fun to kind of kick this off with a little story. Okay. <laughs> I think you know the story, but I had mentioned uh, earlier when we were in the kitchen that you know, your, your work, your writing, your blogs and habits has been formative in my journey. I was reading your stuff. Um, when did you launch the blog initially? Uh, 2007. 2007. Years so ago. that was right around when I was beginning to kind of shift my lifestyle. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that I was a day one reader, but I was pretty early on. Yeah. And it was incredibly helpful to me to be able to have your voice in my ears as kind of a lighthouse and, and a guiding force as I was navigating some pretty treacherous, uncertain waters. And, and so I appreciate you for that. Like you've been a big behind the scenes person who has been crucial in kind of catalyzing my personal growth. So yeah. I wanted to thank you for that. No, and, that's, that's amazing to hear. Um, and, it's, and it's an honor to be a part of your journey. In fact, now that I know that I'm going to take all your credit for all your success, <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, I'm giving it to you. You can, you, you're, you earned it, and you're, you're, uh, you're welcome to take it. Um, and the, and a funny thing happened when uh, we had never met, we'd never communicated. Uh, but when Finding Ultra came out in 2000, it was spring of 2012, and I knew that our mutual, I knew that my friend Matt Frazier knew you, oh, Matt yeah. Frazier of No Meat Athlete. Yeah, and I, w I just wanted to get the book into the hands of like people that I respected. Not, I didn't want anything in return. I just wanted to like be able to gift it as a way of saying thank you to people that had been helpful and, and, and been like, like yourself, a guiding force in, in, in my story. And so I reached out to Matt and I was like, Hey Matt, I really want to get like a copy of Finding Ultra to Leo. I don't know how to get in touch with him. Like, I know, you know, him. can you like bring it up? Or he's like, yeah, I'll ask him, you know, but you know, he's weird about stuff like that. I don't know if he's going <laughs> to, you know, and, and, I don't know, a week later or something like that, Matt emailed me back and he's like, you know, Leo said to thank you very much, but, um, but he's going to decline accepting the book because he doesn't, you know, accept bringing new things into his house. <laughs> and so I had a moment of like a, like the briefest moment of disappointment. And then I was like, that's so baller. Like you actually walk your talk in the most profound way. Like you're actually living the way that you espouse and, and, you know, in, in line with what you write about. And so I actually thought it was really cool because it proved to me that you actually are who you are and hold yeah. yourself out to be. Uh, and I figured, oh, at some point we'll cross paths. So well, if we I had are, known you were going to make the five or six years later, the world's best podcast, and I, <laughs> you know, if you're going to go on to do that, I would have taken the book. No, <laughs> no, it was, you know, that's actually a really hard thing for me is to say no to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but in the, in the beginning of the blog, I answered everybody's emails and I loved getting those emails and I answered every single comment. Uh, but as the blog grew, it just became too much. And I had to like, for my own self-protection and sanity, you know, set some gates basically so that I can be able to focus on the creating the work that I want to create. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, as you know, it can be overwhelming. Well, saying no or having a healthy relationship with saying no is absolutely essential to living a minimalist lifestyle. 
That's right. How did you kind of cultivate a healthy relationship with doing that? For me, like I'm a people pleaser. Like yeah. I don't want to bum anyone out. And I end up saying yes to a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't and then yeah. resent it later. <laughs> and I'm always like, okay, next time say no. I'm getting better. Um, but I still have like, you know, uh, a boulder. I got to push up a mountain when yeah. it comes to that. Well, a couple of things. One is uh, I... I learned that if I don't say no I'm, and I'm saying yes to everything, then it's just overwhelming. So the yes started to become, I started to associate that with overwhelm and stress and pain. So like I, I, and then I started associating no with simplifying and just having some space. So no became a positive thing for me. And I mm-hmm. actually started to cherish saying no to everything, <laughs> like <laughs> no to you, no to you. Uh-huh. Um, no, but it wasn't about no to people, but it was more about saying yes to the life that I wanted and the space that I needed for my own sanity. So that I would was... imagine you get offered really cool stuff though. Like a lot of those opportunities are probably things that would be fun or would be yeah. broadening, you know, and that's, that's the other thing is that once you start to like set up these walls, not walls, but like, you know, these limits, you know, like I'm only going to have this many things in my house or whatever. You, those are like kind of artificial external things, but you start to see your own instinct to the urge to connect with everybody that you can, because there's so many amazing things out there and you just want to do it all. Like, I'm sure you're like me. Right. Uh, we're, we're both people who want to like experience life to the fullest and have all these amazing experiences, meet the most amazing people. And so saying we, you start to see that urge in yourself to like go and do everything and say yes to, and have so many meetings and to say yes to all these projects. Um, and so I started to examine that urge in myself. And I now think of it as greed, uh, which is a Buddhist uh, term for, for mm-hmm. that feeling of just wanting more and wanting everything. And um, it's definitely very alive in me. And I see that now that I can, I have those limits that I've artificially set. And I, it really helps me to see my own proclivities towards wanting more. Right. I mean, when you were, you, you couched it as greed, I was thinking ambition. And I think there's healthy ambition and there's unhealthy ambition. So how do you split those hairs? Yeah. And greed is a, in our language, it's a very negative word, but it it really just describes this wanting of everything you can, you know, having more, doing more like rushing and, and just, um, searching outside yourself for that answer. Right. And it's like, Oh, like, you know, good vegan food. I'm here in LA. I'm not, I'm not from here and I don't get, this like incredible richness of amazing vegan restaurants. And so I'm here, I'm like, I want to try every vegan restaurant. Uh (laughs) It's impossible. I can't possibly fit them all in, but there's an instinct in me to want all of it because it's all so good. And I feel like I might miss out on some amazing ones. So that's what, what greed is. And it's, and it's actually a really human and like positive thing. Um, And so I don't want to like make it painted in like this horrible, like evil light, but it's definitely this thing in you and, and it can lead to like, I think we both have addictive personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've, you've struggled I, I with that. I definitely do. Yeah. And I do too. I mean, I, where, where I came from, my darkest place was, was addictions to a number of different things. And I still deal with those urges today, but that's where that comes from. It's just this wanting, wanting that more, wanting everything. Right. As a means of shifting how you feel in the moment. Like right. It, it's a, it's a way of getting out of the present. Right. And so how do you, you, you said like, how do you choose between the one, the, the good opportunities and the, you know, the ones that are going to be maybe too much. Um, and for me, it's just like being able to see that 
that tendency towards wanting more, 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 and and let, letting that go. So it's a letting go process. And then what are you left with when you don't want more and more? It's the like loving intention. And so when I say yes to you, um, like I'm here with you, so I obviously said yes to something. It's like I I feel like this is in alignment with my mission in life, mm-hmm. and um, I I feel like you embody some of the values that I that I want to spread in the world and so coming here with you is a merging of that and so that's a loving thing it's not necessarily based on that desire of like I need to be on every amazing podcast in fact I haven't been on any recently but uh-huh. uh, this one felt in alignment with that love that I'm trying to offer to the world oh, that's cool I appreciate that and yeah. uh and the feeling is is definitely mutual and yeah I mean it's 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 tricky. You know, I, you wrote a blog post about this also with respect to travel. Like when you go and you want to have all the experiences, yeah. <laughs> you want to make sure that you see everything and having that understanding that that's not going to be possible and kind of playing that out and seeing yourself strung out because, you know, you, you've set up this goal that you yeah. can't achieve of like checking all these boxes without actually ever just being present with where you're at and having a comfort level with knowing that you can't do it all and that that's okay. Yeah. And that, I mean, it, it shows up very strongly in travel, like you said. Like, you, it's hard to be here when you're like, oh, I need to go to the next great place because there's so many great places. Rushing around to get the, the, the yeah. snapshot and then moving on. But that's actually what we do in our everyday lives. Well, most of us. I'm not, obviously, Rich is enlightened. Um, no, and no, he's reached reach nirvana. <laughs> but uh, If anyone's but enlightened us, here, it's you. <laughs> But most of, no, I mean, I, I definitely am pretty far myself, but you like most of us, like, instead of being present with the, the email that I'm reading, we're trying to like get through our entire email box so that we can then go on to do the next task on our list and then go on to meeting so-and-so. And it's like, you're never fully present mm-hmm. because there's that tendency to want more, to get to the next thing, to do more. Um, and it, it's actually never ending. So you have to really just stay present with that urge which is a natural one and practice letting go. It's so uncomfortable to do that. <laughs> it's so hard because you're also letting go of those little dopamine hits that you get also like, oh, I cleared my inbox. Yeah. Oh, like I checked my this or the my that, which is just not really necessarily directly related to moving your life forward or making you more content or more grounded or more yeah. successful. It's the illusion of of moving forward without without the actual truth of it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we're all addicted to that. I think is those little dopamine hits, you know, of, of, okay, I checked off that box. I did all of these things and moving on to the next one. is just, it's hard to break free of that. Mm -hmm. So what are the daily practices that you've cultivated to manage all this? Um, well, I'm obviously perfect. And uh-huh. I do them all every day. <laughs> perfectly, yeah. You have a three-hour morning routine, and I've found that you the adhere ultimate... to perfectly every day. And it's the perfect routine. So I'm going to share it with you guys now, and you'll you will have enlightenment after right. doing it. And if you do this, you will become Leo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to give you all but the last one, and that one you can buy from my website. Ah, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I, I'm I'm still in search of that answer, honestly. But what what do I do? Um, my daily practices, I, um, I meditate, um, and it's nothing, not a, like amazing 
you know, advanced meditation. And I just meditate on the breath mostly. Right. So there's no specific uh, approach or... I, I follow the... Generally, I follow the Zen uh, Buddhist style mm -hmm. of uh, Zazen and um, the... Or like the just just sitting kind of thing. But um, I've, lately, I've been returning to the basic practice of just counting the breath, which is something that I started with and then thought I was like moving on and beyond that. And I realized that I've uh, it, there's actually a lot of profundity profundity in that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm rediscovering just counting breath. Um, and that's like something that when you start out, and you probably have had this experience, like. Okay, when do I move beyond counting breaths? Right. You know? I need to get you know behind the velvet rope into the next VIP yeah. room of meditation. Yeah, so like, what's the next level? And so you're always looking for that, and that's actually really good to see that tendency in your mind to want to go beyond that, um, which is again that greed coming into play. But so if you return to that, which is such a basic practice, and it's like so boring, right? Uh -huh. Or at least that's how our minds usually read it. But actually, you're just it's a practice of just fully being there, fully embodied with each breath and realizing that that is all there is. And it's like that breath is unique and not like the next breath and it's never going to come again. And that's exactly what we want to do is just in each experience, each moment to see that that's, that's unique and it will ne we'll never have this moment back. This one that we're having between me and you right now, we're never going to have it again. Mm -hmm. And if we can just fully be here in this moment as we are looking into each other's masculine eyes, <laughs> we uh, like, this is an amazing experience for me. And if I'm not fully here with it, I'm looking to the next thing. Okay, what, what's, what's the next level thing that I can be doing? I'm going to be missing out on this amazing experience. And there's nothing more profound than anchoring yourself completely in the present moment. That's right. Right. So the idea, I think our minds are always looking for the advanced program or am I progressing, you know, with respect to meditation. And ultimately, it's so simple. Yeah, right? so simple. And there's, and yet there's complexity so hard. <laughs> within that simplicity, I suppose. But there's no—you could plumb the depths of it for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, and anyone who's practiced breath counting knows that it's a simple practice. Like the instructions, you can take in one minute, but actually doing it is is pretty tough because of our minds. Like, you know, wanting to get away from this moment. Like, mm -hmm. this is boring. Why am I counting my breath? So you want to like, and you start to think about what else you have to do for today. And that conversation that you had yesterday that's still sticking with you and all of these, you know, ego driven things. But if we can just let go of that ego and just stay with the breath and it, it's transformative. But it, like I said, it's pretty hard because of our mind's tendencies. Yeah. And it's fleeting. Yeah. Right. All right. So how long do you do that for? Um... It varies. Lately, it's like when I I feel rushed, I should be doing it longer, <laughs> but I actually do it shorter. I'm just like, okay, I don't have time because I have so much to do. And so when I notice myself just doing it for like 10 minutes a day, I realize like my mind is, is doing that, like mm -hmm. wanting to like just get through the meditation and just check it off the list, which is not really fully being there with it. Um, so that lately it has been that, which is a public confession really <laughs> like I, my yeah my mind is definitely rushing off to the next thing and especially when i travel it's like i have so much that i that i want to do again it's that greed tendency like i want to do all of this stuff here in la and meet all these amazing people i'm not doing that but it's that's my mind's tendency so it's like okay i only can do 10 minutes of meditation but i you know ideally 
and I don't really hold to the ideals, but you know, 20 to 30 minutes would be mm-hmm. amazing. Okay. Yeah. So that's right when you, that's upon waking ideally. Yeah. 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 And then what follows that? Um, yeah, I don't have a magic formula. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Normally, well, so I, I mean, before that I wake up, I have a glass of water and um, I take a couple, I take like a omega three kind of thing, vegan omega three. Mm-hmm. And I, then I meditate and I, I have coffee. And lately I've been trying to now do um, a yoga practice, just a short one, just some sun salutations, um, which is not something that I've been doing for a long time. So I don't want to pretend uh, that I, I'm a experienced yoga yogi, um, but I, I find that really useful. Um, and I used to med- I used to work out in the morning, uh, whether that's a run or weights or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've been pushing that back to the afternoon and more focusing on my like most important task. So that's that's basically it. Nothing magical, right? And are yeah. you still doing the uh, you know check email twice a day kind of thing and, and yeah. restricting like your online time so that you can focus on you know mission worthy work? Yeah, and imperfectly. So like it's so hard. Yeah. And you know, like for me, what one thing that I've noticed from so many habits, when I say like, say no to this, and if you just say yes to one little one, it's, you know, that slippery slope. Uh Um, And I discovered that when I first started my journey, like when I was trying to quit cigarettes, it's like, okay, when I, I'll just have one puff, you know, and then it's like, all of a sudden I'm just smoking cigarettes again, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's the same thing. I like, I'll just check email real quick because... You know, I want to see if Rich emailed me. You know? <laughs> and, right. Or it could relieve my stress because I have anxiety. There's this thing hanging out there that's unresolved. And I just, right. if I can, if I can check and know that it's all okay, then I can actually be present with what I'm doing right now. Which is, yeah, totally, totally fine. Like, you know, I, I don't need to rigidly hold myself to these rules, but having that line of saying, okay, I'm only going to do it this time and this time helps me to see when I'm what I'm doing. So when I, if I do it because it's going to be, it's going to free my mind up, then, Mm. you know, that could be an amazing thing. Or if I'm doing it just because it's easy to slip into email habits, old email habits, then I can see that better now. Right. Yeah. So, but I have been slipping a bit. So yeah, I have to admit that (laughs) (laughs) you're a human being. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, generally I've been checking email way less, most, mostly twice a day, sometimes even once a day. Mm -hmm. And, um, I find that very freeing. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky, man. It's it it sneaks up on me big time. Yeah. It's definitely like a war that I'm waging that I'm trying to figure out how. So to let me ask it. you this: uh, to turn the the microphones around a bit, um, when you you find that like slipping up, like, slipping in on you, and you know just waging that war, is it because you need to check them, and this is an important part of your mission, or is it because you're running from a difficult thing that you don't really feel like doing right now? It's both. Okay. You know, it's both. I'm I'm trying to carve out uh, time to work on this new book. Okay. And so I'm much more uh, vulnerable to distracting myself. Yeah, because of I have fear and I have um, I have resistance. You know. Yeah. Uh, to coin Pressfield's War of Art yeah. language. Uh, so I I think unconsciously and maybe even on a conscious level, like I'm seeking out distractions so yeah, that I course. don't have to do the hard thing. You know what I mean? Every writer knows what you mean. <laughs> and yeah. And so there's that. And then there's also like, there's a lot of stuff going on and you know, I've got a lot of unread emails and they all need responses. So yeah. there's a responsive, there's a responsible aspect of that as well that I can easily justify. 
So when you say they need responses, are these like actual ones that need responses or is that like your feeling of like, this is undone? Um, probably a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, I've let go of, of the dream of inbox zero, like that's yeah. not going to happen, you know, and, and, and let go of the shame of be, you think I, you know, I have this thing, like I'm a bad person. Yeah. I can't answer all these emails, but it's just not fit. Like if I was going to do that, I would just be traffic copying an email all day long and yep. never do anything else. And so yeah. that's not a benefit to anybody. Yeah. And neither is the shame. No. Yeah. Right? And then I beat myself up because I can't get to all this stuff. Yeah. And, so, and that's not your core mission. Is answering emails. You're not, you know, rich the email master. But you know, I've, <laughs> I've had I've had to weather, you know, some some negative consequences because sometimes you know, like loose ends don't get tied up yeah. when they should be if you're being more responsible. I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I have help, and you know, I'm trying to solve it. But there's never a perfect. Yeah, there's answer. no like <laughs> if somebody in technology could like solve this email. Pro- we we all suffer from it. You yeah, know, we all have this. We have this cultural, you know, cultural epidemic of like dealing with email. Like if somebody could innovate our way out of this and find a new way for us to com- communicate more fluidly, yeah. that would be a game changer that I think would resolve a lot of people's anxiety. So, well, yeah. I, so I, it's interesting because my, my view on that now is like, it would be great to have this answer and yet this is like our, our practice ground, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's like, this we have to is be with what's happening now. I mean, and, and it's really good because we see our tendencies. Email only just brings out the tendencies. Right. It's a know? mirror. It's a great mirror exactly. for where you're at. You know? So let me ask you this. You're writing your book. <laughs> your journey is holy <laughs> around. Okay. No, actually, this is exactly uh, what I like to talk about. So you're, you're writing your book. And we'll, we'll go back to me in a minute. Uh, don't worry. I know we will. <laughs> you can cut this out if you want to. <laughs> no, go for it. Um, so you're writing your book and you have a chapter to write today, right? And there's fear coming up. Can you describe that fear, like the physical feeling of that fear? The physical feeling is... In your body. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an antsiness and it's a fear of... Um, not being good enough or not being able to well, how does that summon feel? the words. It not being good enough. Uh, anxiety. Yeah. But know. like, um, where is it located in your body? Uh, probably like in my chest. Yeah. Yeah. And how would you describe the energy that's there in your chest? The feeling of not, fear of not being good enough. It's like a vibrating, like quickly vibrating energy that makes it difficult to concentrate. Yeah. So it's vibrating in your chest. Does it feel like shooting out, pulsing? Is it hard? Is it tight? Is it a uh, like uh, like a gas, like gaseous? Is it solid? Is it liquid? It's. Uh, I would say it's shooting out mm-hmm. and tight, mm-hmm. um, like radiating, radiating out through the limbs. Yeah. Just just general sense of like dis-ease, you know, that makes mm-hmm. it difficult to just relax. And I think it's bound up in um, like an unhealthy relationship with trying to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if, I'm, if the words that are coming out aren't exactly what I have in my mind or yeah. how I envision this playing out, then, you know, what am I even doing? And how dare you even write a book? And who do you think you are? And mm-hmm. then that's a cascading uh, waterfall of like, negative impulses yeah so you have like this and what you're describing is what every single writer just in general um experiences and also every single person right. human being on earth 
but like you have this idea like you want to make an impact on the world you want people to think well of you and you're attached to that idea which like, is very, very unhealthy natural. attachment yeah because the 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 what i should be attached to is just trying to express myself as honestly as possible and to communicate an idea that i think would be helpful to other people as imperfectly as i you know as it may be yeah and that would be way healthier but also another thing that i've been working with is even that like expressing yourself as you know perfectly as you can that's even a, a, an ideal that you can get attached to you know mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm not trying to lecture you or anything like so that. So what is your what is your strategy? To run usually. <laughs> yeah. Well, running helps, you know. Running helps resolve a lot of that anxiety and also it helps clarify my 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 thinking. Yeah. So a well, lot of these ideas start to congeal. Yeah. You you're talking about physically like yeah. going out for a run. Right. Are you talking, talking about just about running away? Just running to email. <laughs> oh, running to email. Yeah. No, no. But actually, you know, running to running is is a good um, good way to work with that for uh -huh. sure. That energy that's in you, right? Yeah. Um, so my my practice with that now, this is actually what I consider my life's mission is what we're just talking about. Um, so that's kind of why I, I turned the microphones around. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. That was really helpful. So if you had to articulate your life's mission, what is that? It is to help people with that energy that's in your chest. Mm. It's the the way that I phrase it, um, and I'm still working on the phrasing of the uh, Leo version 2.0 TM. But uh -huh. <laughs> by the way that I phrase it right now is I would like to help people with struggles. And this is a struggle, but there's so many versions of this. So many. I mean, everything that we struggle with in our lives, even the ones we don't acknowledge, is a version of this that mm -hmm. you're talking about. Um, and then the bigger, when I want to get big and bold, my mission is to end human struggle. That is an ambitious mission. Right. But you, what you're describing there, that energy in your chest, and it, it's different for each person. And in fact, that energy in my experience, and I'm not going to tell you what yours is, but my experience is actually that energy changes. Like if you just sit there watching it. It's it moves. not well, it it moves. moves. It's yeah. that it's the same with physical pain. When you would when you draw your attention and get really specific with what's what color is it? Yeah. What it, you know, what is the nature of it, the yeah. pain and where is it now? And you notice as the more you kind of like laser in on the locus of it, mm -hmm. it will move around and then it you know, ultimately if you do it long enough, it will like dissipate it. Exactly. So you could do that with a headache or, you know, whatever is ailing you. Yeah. That's exactly the practice that that I've been trying to do. And, but the, the problem is that we run or we, we need to do something about that energy. You know what I mean? We need to fix it because it's uncomfortable, like just like physical pain is. And actually, I think it's a version of physical pain. It's in your body, right? Um, so we run, we go to email, we go to Twitter, we go to all these different things that we feel are productive, but we're running from that energy because when we go to email, it's very, there's a lot of like it feels more well, you get a release. Yeah. You get, yeah. cause you feel like you're accomplishing something. Right. You're getting that dopamine, like you yeah. said, and you're running away from that uncomfortable feeling. And that uncomfortable feeling is actually there in all these moments in our lives throughout the day where you're feeling like you might not be good enough. You, you have that fear or you feel like, you know, something, you know, bad might happen. You know, you get some anxiety or you're, um, a lot of times it's frustration with other people and that's a, that's a kind of energy or resentment with your wife or, you know, mm -hmm. there's all these different ways that we run from this energy that's in us. And so my mission now is to help people just to stay with that energy and stay with it 
And it's not something that I invented. <laughs> I'm stealing it from Buddhism. Um, but you stay with it and then you learn to become comfortable with that feeling of groundlessness or feeling of, you know, uncertainty and fear. And actually you can just stay with it. And like you have as a physical athlete, you've learned to stay with that discomfort when you're out on a run. Like you face it every single day. There's physical discomfort and you stay with it and you actually can give it mindfulness instead of like trying to tune it out with your, you know, music or whatever. If you just stay with it with mindfulness, like you said, it can dissipate and you mm -hmm. can just keep running. But it's the same thing with anxiety and stress and frustration and all of that feeling bad about yourself is you can just stay with that energy and train in staying and train in just letting it be there and being okay with it. And then, like you said, it can dissipate and you're okay. It's so true. I mean, that's what you just described is really the nature of sobriety, like true sobriety. Because I think as human beings, we all suffer yeah. in some respect from this very condition and we suffer on a spectrum. So at the very far end of the spectrum, you have people with addiction problems, mm -hmm. whether it's substance or behavioral, right? So when you become sober, you start to realize the relationship between that discomfort and the external thing that you reach for exactly. to take you out of that discomfort. So whether it's a drink or a drug or going shopping or watching television or answering an email or gambling or pornography or whatever yeah. it is, it is a quick fix to medicate an emotional state that for a lot of people is only is is very unconscious. They're not even consciously aware that they're making that choice in response to that that feeling that's creeping up that is throwing them off, off balance. Yeah, and it, and uh, you're exactly right. That's exactly right. There, and the addiction, what it is, is for me at least. This is my experience of addiction is. Um, you do that, you run to something away from that energy and you, you find that external, you know, fix, which is obviously very temporary and not really a fix, but mm -hmm. you do that. And then it, if you do that a number of times, it, it starts to harden into habit and then harden into addiction. And so what we have to do is unharden those addictions and habits that we have built up to run from that energy. And we've, we've spent so much energy in our lives running from it. Every procrastination you know, every moment of procrastination is running from that. Every time we reach for the, you know, you and I both like uh, coffee. Every time we reach for coffee, a lot of times it's it's to fix that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, um, there's so many things that we do in our lives to run from that one thing. And if we can just stop running and just stay still and stay with it, like all of a sudden it just doesn't become the end of the world. It's not something to panic about. It actually becomes okay. And you're like, oh, this is just another energy in me. And it will go away. It will change. It's not the worst thing in the world. And you learn to become comfortable with that discomfort. The fear of the discomfort is more severe than the discomfort itself. Yeah. And I think it's about developing a relationship with emotions uh, in a way that allows you to kind of bifurcate your higher consciousness from the kind of emotional and physical symptoms of what is underlying that, right? Yeah. So that you can get to that place and say yeah, I feel like crap or I feel like I'm sad or I feel anxious, but they're just feelings, man. Yeah. It feels like they might kill you, but they're <laughs> actually just feelings. And every single feeling in the history of humankind can be relied on to do one thing. And that's change. Like if you just stay with it, it will morph into something else, but you have to get comfortable with being in that 
place of discomfort in order to experience that and get to the other side and say, oh my God, like I weathered that and I didn't have to reach out for that external thing to fix it. Yeah. And I'm okay. That's absolutely right. Right. But it's hard because we don't want to be uncomfortable. And we're in a culture that reinforces this idea that we should never be uncomfortable, that we should always be, uh, you know, in, in some kind of luxurious state, you know, at ease and relaxed. Yeah. And so we're kind of conditioned to avoid these things that actually would make us happier and more content ultimately. Yeah. And that conditioning that you're saying, that's, that's something that we've been training in for our entire lives. It's just like running to TV, running to porn, running to every, you know, all of our social media and our phones and everything is just, we've been training ourselves. Every single moment is mind training and we've been, we've conditioned ourselves because we're of asleep that. at the wheel. You know, we're on autopilot and mm-hmm. we're just reacting. We're bouncing around like a ping pong ball, right. responding to impulses that are being thrown at us culturally or by family or whatever. And they have their own history of programming behind them yeah. until you kind of realize like the extent to which you're actually exercising free will isn't quite what you thought it was. That's right. Right. That's right. So how do we, how do we begin to untie this knot? So if we see the conditioning that we've already had and we see how that's not serving us, right? All of this conditioning, it's nothing to feel bad about. It's just that's human nature is to be conditioned, but to see that it's not serving us and actually can be really hurting us in a lot of ways, whether it's addiction or anger or, you know, just all of procrastination and not creating the work that you're meant to create, Mm -hmm. um, see that it's not serving you. And then start to unravel that conditioning. And the way you do that is that training of staying. So that's the, to me, that's the main training is the staying. But actually you can, as you said, you can actually go deeper. Uh, you talked about the higher consciousness and, and not letting yourself just be driven by the, the emotions that are coming up, the feelings. Um, so one of the things that I do in addition to that, and again, I'm not inventing this stuff, but uh, I'll take credit though. Um, I'll give you credit. <laughs> so yeah, there's the staying. And if you can really learn to stay with that energy and be curious about it and be open to it and explore it, um, there's a Buddhist teaching where Buddha invited uh, the demon Mara into the cave for tea. Instead of r- trying to do battle with Mara, he said, come on in with tea and have tea with me. And this is the demon that causes all of our anxieties mm-hmm. and you know the, the the one that causes all of our disruptions in life come and have tea with me and so you're going to invite this energy in your chest to have tea with you and just welcome it and say you know just come in you're, you're, and be a good friend to it and give it some unconditional friendliness and that's a hard thing to learn how to do but you can turn your attention to it and say like like you would to a good friend like if you were if you were my good friend and every time you came into my life I ran away from you like that wouldn't be a good relationship, right? So instead, what if I what if I said, "Hey, let's let's have some tea," you know? I'm glad you're here. Uh, how are you doing? You know, uh-huh. we can do that with that feeling that's inside of us, and invite it to tea, and just be welcoming and curious about it. What's going on with you? You know, and that's the next part of it. It's just to really explore it. So train to stay, train to explore with welcome and friendliness, and a warm heart and compassion. And then the next thing you can do is actually go underneath that energy. And if you can go underneath that energy, there's that energy is there in you, but under that is the, is this tenderness in your heart. 
And that's the tenderness that wants to get away from the discomfort and is, is afraid of being unloved. Like you're, you're talking about the fear of not being worthy or being, not being good enough. We all have that. And that comes from that tender place in your heart that wants to be a good person and wants to be loved and respected. And that's actually a really, that's goodness in you. Um, and it's a tender place that we don't often access. But this, so this energy comes from that. It's like, oh, it's like a scared little child saying, I want to be loved, but I don't want to be hurt. And so the energy is from that place in our heart. And if we can learn to go under it and see that tender place and just stay with that, put our hand on that, um, it's tapping into, I think, is our basic goodness, which some people call our birthright. It's always there. And if we can learn to tap into that, we can start to learn to trust that that basic goodness is there all the time, even if we're afraid, even if we're angry, frustrated, resentful, all of these things, there's this, that goodness there. And if we learn to tap into that, then we have a trust in that goodness that we can be okay, even if we feel anxiety, even if we feel resentment, even if our you know spouse is yelling at us, like we can be okay through this difficulty. Like as a center point, like you can mm -hmm. always go back to that place. And it's a place you can come to trust. Mm -hmm. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. 
Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Yeah, I was just, when you were describing that, I mean, that was beautiful what you said, but I, I was thinking like, okay, well, what's a practical example of, you know, an experience that an average person has? And I was thinking, all right, well, most people like dread doing their taxes, yeah. right? like they put it off to the last minute or they file an extension. And then before they know it, it's like, oh God, I still haven't done it. And the amount of energy that goes into that dread, like that you're uh, carrying around, like this low grade kind of anxiety in the back of your mind, like, you know, you got to do that thing yeah. and you're just avoiding it day after day after day after day. And it can and it cause knots up. in your stomach. Yeah. It can, and then yeah. to face it. And then, so what's behind that? Oh, well, oh my God, when I do it, I'm going to realize I owe all this money or, you know, whatever's behind that, like fear of financial institutions or financial insecurity or that. And then even beneath that, like, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'll never, yep. I'll never be able to be financially stable, whatever, like fears, are fostering that, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> but then to kind of like, okay, finally do it and see your way through it and go, actually, that wasn't that bad, like, <laughs> you know, and, and then to reflect back on the amount of energy that you expended over the last six or eight or nine months yeah. trying to avoid it, it's insanity, right? But in order to get over that, to like transcend that paradigm and develop a healthier relationship with obligations or experiences that trigger you in that way is this journey of like finding that center point in yourself or That's cultivating right. a relationship with that. Yeah. And it starts from just not running. So like, you know, the email two times a day, it's not about me being super productive or super Zen or anything like that. It's more like, that's a practice container for me of like when I, if it's 8am and I'm running to email, I know that's, not in my container. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy for me to see that I'm running. When you can see you're running, then you can start to practice with it. But we right. don't normally see ourselves running. See, I have I have this experience of seeing myself running and uh -huh. doing it anyway. Yes. Which makes it worse because it makes the shame <laughs> spiral that much more <laughs> intense. Because you're like, I know what I'm doing and I know I shouldn't be doing this and I feel powerless to stop it. You're so human. Yeah. Boy. Um, no, I mean... We all, we all have that. Like we can see ourselves and we like, we know we're harming ourselves right now. We know we're running. We know we're eating the Doritos mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And we're like, I don't care. Like, just like, right. I don't give a crap right now. I, I, I want to run anyway. And, and it, you know what that is? It comes from this, this very human uh, desire to relieve yourself of this discomfort, which is, there's nothing wrong with that desire. And, and the, the shame that comes up from that, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I just ate a whole bag of Doritos or, you know, vegan Doritos. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> like, I just ate this, this really unhealthy thing and I just ate a whole bunch of it. And then you have the shame. That's actually also another feeling that you can sit with. Right. The shame afterward. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you do when you see yourself? And then you feel, sh- you feel even worse because you feel ashamed. Yeah. Like you're building this house on top of, you know, it's like you compound the damage. Layers and layers of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And regret and remorse and all of this stuff. And so this is our human condition. We're constantly layering crap on top of crap <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we don't need to. So once we start to see it, that your awareness now, you've taken going from like not being aware that you're running to an awareness that you're running your awareness of that. And then you can be aware of the shame that you're putting on top of that and the shame of having the shame and, and all of this other stuff that that is where it starts. Because if you start to see yourself doing it over and over, you're like, okay, how much energy am I going to keep expending? I see myself doing it. Mm-hmm. And eventually you just get tired. You're like I'm tired of hurting myself. And that's when you can start to like say, okay, let me just take a breath here. <laughs> Instead of running, maybe I can try something different. Um, but th- you have to just watch yourself do it for a while. Yeah. The trying something different, though, is the key. It, it, it's the action that will shift it because, you know, there's an adage in sobriety, like self-awareness will avail you nothing. So you can listen to all this mm-hmm. and like me, develop an awareness. So yeah. I know that I'm doing this. I'm checking out again. Here I am doing this behavior. But you will, you're never going to transcend it until you alter your behavior. Behavior is the path forward. There's a um, another Buddhist practice, which is uh, renunciation. I, I'm sorry if you you know all this stuff already. Oh, no, please explain. Uh, preaching to the to the choir, mm-hmm. but uh, so renunciation In is my just super cluttered. <laughs> I was like embarrassed how cluttered this office what? is. No, like, it's we're wonderful. Coming here. <laughs> you guys should see it. We, uh, but it's it's a wonderful office. Uh. I feel like I'm in the place of uh, magic. But anyway, um, so. Yeah, the, the, the practice is renunciation, and it's simply just seeing you're, you're aware when you're running, and you let yourself run anyway, and just afterward, just reflecting. Maybe you can do it at the end of each day, maybe after just right after you do it, um, after you run and allow yourself to run. But it's just saying, I was in discomfort. I ran from it. It actually didn't help me. Uh, like, you can kind of just reflect on that and just say, I renounce that action and that doesn't, that's not a feeling of guilt. Uh, it's not, uh, beating yourself up about whatever you just did, but it's just saying I'm letting that go. It's a, like, I don't think it was helpful and I'm not going to, I'm going to try and do better. Right. But do it in a neutral, you're doing it in a neutral frame of mind. Right. You're not, you're not hurting. You're not being harsh on yourself. Right. And is that something you would verbalize out loud or write it down in a journal or just make a mental note to yourself yes all of those. <laughs> any one of those is is great uh-huh. any way that you, that works for you um i personally just say it to myself and just like make them just take a pause and this could be like a two second meditation just like i saw what i just did there and that's my that's my pattern it's my tendency and there was a good-hearted Maybe more longer than two seconds now, but it yeah. happens faster in my head. But like that was a good heart intention behind that. And yet it did not come to a good result. And I, I vowed to do better from this point on. And I can continue to vow each time. Um, and it's just a letting go of what I just did and a intention to do better, to, to practice with this in the future. It's one of those things where you're like, is it really that simple? It can't be that simple. Like <laughs> no. the human brain, at least my human brain is always like, tell me the super secret answer that no <laughs> one knows that, you know, I want the, the special, you know, the special answer. Yeah. And the truth is, and this is a core of Zen really, is that these simple ideas 
are so much more powerful than we understand them to be that we can actually, um, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to get to the bottom of how profound they are. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's as, as you constantly say, this is a journey, right? So it's, it's a simple practice, but actually it's just something that you used along the, the way and you get better at it. And still, you know, you're, you're like 50 years into the journey and you're still eating the bag of Doritos, right. vegan Doritos. Well, let's, uh, let's step it back a little bit and create a little context for okay. this journey. I thought it would be fun to kind of explore, you know, how you got to this, this place. You have a really interesting, uh, backstory. Yeah. So maybe, uh, you know, walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I created Zen Habits in 2007 and mm -hmm. it just took off that year. And so I've been a blogger for 10 years, but before that, um, the, the blog was really the result of more than a year of changing my life. And before that was the, the year of changing my life was the result of a place of like real struggle, um, and not knowing how to change my life and mm -hmm. wanting to, and like starting all kinds of exercise programs. I was sedentary, not being able to stick to them for very long, start trying all kinds of diets. I was overweight, um, probably like 60 pounds heavier than I am now, not being able to stick to that, uh, trying to like you know, get out of debt and I was deeply in debt and not being able to do that. So I was just trying to quit smoking. I tried seven times and failed each time. So it was, it was a place of darkness and I found a way out. Um, so I don't know if you want me to go into any of that. Yeah. So this was happening. This was like early two thousands. You're living in Guam. Yeah. That's time, where I'm from. And you're already, you're already married at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a messy story, but yeah, right. I, I was, this is my second marriage. Uh -huh. uh, I had been through a divorce. I had two kids from the first one. She had two kids. We came together, got married, had two more kids. So we have big brood, six kids, six kids a Brady Bunch situation, three boys, three girls. Um, and so I'm on Guam. I'm working a day job that I'm, I didn't love. Um, and you grew up there. I, yeah, I grew up also uh, back and forth all over the place, like mm -hmm. Bay Area, Seattle, born in Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. uh, but mostly on Guam. My entire adult life was on Guam. Right. And so, yeah, married um, and it just things started to list, like snowball, like just constantly running from the discomfort, really. Right. And what was your profession at the time? Um, at that time I was working for the governor of Guam as a speech writer, but uh -huh. I, I'm a writer by profession. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been a journalist since high school, basically, uh, an editor, writer, and then, um, worked for the Guam legislature, then the governor of Guam. And, um, yeah, not, not excited about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how does this all like come to a head for you? So again, overweight, couldn't stick to anything, smoking, deeply in debt, uh, working in a job I didn't like, but working long hours, not able to, to be there for my family. And I just realized my life is entirely upside down and I was completely out of control and I didn't know how to get out. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like for me, it felt like rock bottom, you know, obviously there's always deeper rock bottoms, but for me, it felt like I'm like, this is not working and there's something I need to get control of my life. And so I, I tried lots of different things. They weren't working. And I finally decided to start with one thing, just narrow it down and put everything I had. Cause I felt like I was saving my own life and I had to just put everything I had into that one habit and do whatever it took to make it work. So I did all kinds of research, read books, 
you know, um, even research papers, all kinds of online sites and tried everything and to make it work. And it, it did, it stuck. It was quitting smoking. Quitting smoking was the one thing. And so how, how did you, after failing, you know, seven times or whatever it is, you said, what was the thing that you did that actually made it work? It was actually a set of things. And that's, that set actually worked for the next thing, which was running and then vegetarianism and debt and decluttering and, and so forth. That's actually, that set is something I discovered through repeated trying of it. And then it worked. And that's why I, I wrote Zen Habits was to share that set of mm-hmm. things. Uh, but so the uh, set of things were, um, number one, making a big commitment. I basically told everybody I knew that I'm quitting smoking. Because before that, I, I would just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to quit today to myself because I didn't want people to know. And so then you um, always have an out. Yep. And then later that day, I took a puff and then was smoking by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a big thing. It was like a a minor commitment in my mind. So I had to make it. This is something I'm committing to. Uh, And I made it publicly. I asked for support. I I found a support community, uh, which was accountability. But also like when I'm when I need support, I'm going to reach out to you before I before I smoke and Mm -hmm. ask for your help. And these are people who are going through it with me. Um, So that support. And accountability and community was really important. Um, and then meditation was, that's when I discovered meditation actually, was when the urge to smoke was arising and it was very uncomfortable and I would normally not even notice it, um, I started to just sit with it mm-hmm. and watch it rise and get strong and strong and like so powerful and then let it go. Um, that's a quick question. Okay. Did, how, what was your relate as a writer? Right. Like you can develop, uh, you know, the relationship between smoking and like creative writing or writing is a tricky one. Right. So did you experience like having to figure out new strategies for how to sit down and write? Yeah. So that's actually why I started running, um, was, was because I, I realized that smoking was actually a crutch for so many different, um, things in my life from stress to, um, yeah, just like a social lubricant and all these other things. So I had to figure out what my triggers were with smoking, like what triggered me to start smoking. And I started to actually, I carried around a little piece of paper and made tally marks every time I had the urge to smoke. And I would allow myself to smoke at first. This is before my quit date. And I would just go around with that thing. And it was, it was allowing me to number one, see when the urge was arising, develop mindfulness around it. And number two, to start to see the triggers. Was it stress? What I did, I just get into a fight with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I made a list of all these triggers and I said, for this, I'm going to um, do this instead. And running was one of those. Right. So creating yeah. alternative behaviors to fill in the blank when you would experience that stressor or that. Right. Trigger. Yeah. So there were replacement habits um, and there were coping ways to cope with usually stress, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and feeling bad about myself was another one and things like that. Fear. Um, I don't know if that answers your question about no, I creative it. writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was that was another big one was understanding my my triggers and creating replacement habits for each each one. Um, yeah, there there are probably a few others, but I I what I did was like, well, that worked, and and maybe I can try that with running. Maybe mm-hmm. I can create the running habit. I couldn't even run ten minutes at first, uh, like so out of shape, and I started using that same thing. And what I did. I ran my first 5K and it was like so exhilarated. I'm like, oh, I can run a marathon. So <laughs> I made a big public commitment to running a marathon 
Um, and I wrote a newspaper article, a column in the newspaper in, on Guam every other week about my training for my first marathon. Uh-huh. And that big public commitment just to the support of the community from reading this and like cheering me on got me to the finish line, uh-huh. even though I was totally not prepared for a marathon. Yeah, but you got it done. Right? I did. So you're kind of canonizing these principles that have been effective in your life, yes. right? Um, and so when do you have the impulse to like start sharing this online or create the blog? It was right after the marathon. Uh-huh. So the marathon was done. Um, I had already gone through a whole year of change and I had been done doing a whole bunch of other things. And I learned about that power of public support and accountability um, and commitment. And so I'm like, okay, I did the marathon. My column is done now. And I'm like, what, what can I do now to like get some, you know, public support and accountability commitment? And so the blog was my answer. And so that was really just like, it was supposed to be just my friends. Mm-hmm. You said first reader. My first readers were my wife and then my mom. Right. <laughs> so Zen Habits, you launch it and you create this, you know, beautiful minimalist template for it, which was unusual because this was the era of, you know, banner ads and yeah. you know, just super cluttered. You know? Well, confession time. It's, it's uh, uncluttered right now. When I first started it, January, uh, 2007, it was cluttered. I put banner ads. Right. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just look like every other blog. Right. And I wanted, I honestly, like uh, when I, as soon as I discovered that this is something I really loved doing and I love that connecting with the readers and, and helping them and then learning from them as well, as you know, um, that was so powerful in my life. I'm like, this might be my calling. And once I did, I'm like, okay, well, how do I pay for this? And so I slapped mm-hmm. a bunch of ads on there right? and made like 30 cents the first month. <laughs> <laughs> so how, was there a, a moment where the blog like caught fire and blew up or was it like a organic progression of growth? It was probably a few months into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just caught fire. Like, and then I, did Cut somebody fire. share it or like, how did that, yeah. how, how did that, can you, what are the forensics behind that? Yeah. I don't know how they discovered it. There was a site called dumb little man. Um, and they're still around. Uh, but at that time they were, they had like 80,000 subscribers and I had again two. <laughs> and so, uh, I don't know how they found me, but they found one of my posts and it was like t- top 10 ways, like one of my list posts, which I became famous for in that first year. Um, top 10 ways to motivate yourself or whatever. And they shared that. I remember going, looking at my stats that morning and seeing the spike. It was like, you know, where did this come from and how did this happen? And I just like complete, not my, nothing I did different that day than, you know, I had been doing the month before and it was just overwhelming and then gratifying to see all these readers come in. And um, there was another site called lifehack.org, which is Mm -hmm. still around too. Right. Um, and they had a hundred some thousand subscribers and like to get links from those sites was just an amazing thing for a blogger like me. Right. Um, and yeah, like I said, I caught, I caught on fire. And one of the things I did was I wrote, I started writing guest posts and, um, becoming a freelance blogger. So I would write blog posts for other blogs and it, I was probably writing five for five different blogs every week. And then another five to 10 guest posts a week. So I was writing probably, wow. and I was writing so every day on my blog. Wow. So I was probably writing 20 to 25 blog posts a week for a year. Oh my God. And writing for your <laughs> job. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's, I quit my day job at the end of the first year. So the 2007, by the end of that year, I had written my first ebook and got on, gotten out of debt. I got 27,000 subscribers. 
I got a book deal from a, an actual publisher mm -hmm. and an advance, and I quit my day job. Um, but yeah, that first year and that was all happened in one year. Yeah, it was an amazing. That's amazing. Amazing year for me. That's crazy! Wow, like I didn't realize it was such a compressed period of time where all this happened. Yeah, I mean, and, and then it, there was a lot journey beyond that. But that mm -hmm. first year was was transformative. And and like you said, I was I had a day job. And so there's a couple of things I did was, was I actually started waking up early, which I had been doing for marathon training, but I waking up early just to write a bunch of blog posts. Uh -huh. um, and I would do it during my lunch hour. And then I, I worked for the government. Um, and uh, on Guam, there's a joke about uh, how little they work. I, I won't get into that. But <laughs> um, so I was there. So and well, you, all, you could carve out free time during the day to get more blog posts done. Everyone else is playing solitaire and I'm writing blog posts for for uh, yeah, a bunch of different sites. <laughs> uh -huh. I was super motivated. Yeah. Well, it was also a really interesting time in the kind of culture of blogging, right? Like it yeah. was a moment where you could have a bust out blog. Like I, like looking at it now, like I'm interested in your thoughts now, like it would be a lot harder now, it seems to me, to distinguish yourself as a blogger. Like yeah. this blogger culture seems to have changed. I That is true. There is some truth to that. And yet... That's what I told myself at the time. There were already big bloggers around, and I mm -hmm. said, "Well, there's no way I can make a dent in this." Everyone, there's so they're all established, and and they had it easy because they started earlier than me in 2005 or 2004 or whatever, and so I couldn't do it. And yet, it worked for me. And then I've had so many people say that to me over the last 10 years, like, "Oh, it was easier for you when right. you started," and yet I've seen people rise just in the last year from nothing to stardom as a blogger, and so the. For you know, I, I've seen amazing writers rise up because they're consistent. They they offer value. They're authentic, and they've got something amazing to share. And so that's mm -hmm. still possible today. And it might be a little more crowded, but really, the you know, in, in a crowd, if you can just be your like you you always say your authentic self and give amazing value to the world. And if you're on a mission that resonates with people, you know, you can find your tribe. Yeah, I think that's true. I think being prolific and being consistent is huge and yeah. being authentic and honest to who you are and providing content that is actually um, going to be useful and helpful to other people yeah. you know, in a real way. There's always room for that. That's never going to go out of style, no matter what. Yeah, right? it totally. Yeah. And it could be in a different way. Maybe it's video, um, you know, maybe it's virtual reality mm -hmm. when my kids do it but well those are just different <laughs> you know distribution methods yeah, for right. the same idea same thing right but you i mean you are you know when you talk about prolific i mean how many you've written like 5 or 6 or 7 or 10 or 12 books like you know, <laughs> like you look on amazon it seems like it's an endless stream well, of titles i mean i know some <laughs> of those are ebooks and they're shorter than others and things like that but i mean you're you're putting out like a tremendous volume of content one little note that is true and I, I can speak to that, but um, one little note about the Amazon books, a bunch of them are not published by me because uh, I uncopyright my work. Uh, so people will collect a bunch of blog posts and then put it into an oh, ebook. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Which is fine with me. Uh, I, I, I want it to go out in any way that people want. I, it is I interesting, but to put a pin in that, like the, the, the decision to uncopyright your work mm -hmm. and, and allow it to be shared freely and repurposed. Mm -hmm. However, anybody chooses. What is the? I mean, that's a very Zen thing to do, right? Like, was that a? What is? What was the decision making or the the sort of thought behind that? It was. Uh, it was inspired by the open source copyright movement, the free software movement, um, and there the beauty of that um, 
uh, how they just let the source be free because they want this to be shared and they want people to build upon it. And um, they don't really believe that ideas should be owned by anyone. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that resonated so much with me because as I just shared with you, I, I steal stuff from Buddhism. I steal stuff from Taoism and, you know, the Stoics and, you know, like... There is no original idea. Definitely not for me. And I'm remixing it just like we all are, right? And I'm, and I'm, I'm sharing it with the world in a way that is accessible in my own voice. So, like, I, yeah, I didn't invent any of these, these ideas, but I build on it. Um, and I merged them together in my own unique way. So, but I didn't, I didn't, I stole it from other people and I want people to steal it from me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was actually a really scary thing for me to announce that scary and yet super exciting. And I have found actually for me, I coined a term called joy fear because the best moments in my life are filled with joy and fear, like this blend of both of them and at such heightened levels that like I, it's, I've now come to realize that that. Are, those are the pivotal moments of my life when I quit my day job, when my kids were born, when I met my wife, when um, when I do anything good in my in my work, when I feel you know like on a purposeful mission, and that was one of them was mm -hmm. this fearful thing of releasing control over my work. Like I don't know what people are going to do with it. They'll sell it for a thousand dollars, and I won't get any of that money. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll go out of business because of this. Um, so it was very scary and also very liberating because one of the things that we do as content creators, if we, if we hold tightly to our copyright is we have to then protect that copyright. Mm. And it's so, so much energy mm -hmm. to, to spend to protect something, like I said, that's not even mine. Um, and to let it out free into the world and let people remix it in their own beautiful ways is I think a liberating thing. And ultimately, I think it it gives it gives wings to that content and allows it to spread more seamlessly and 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 more broadly than perhaps it would have otherwise. Yeah, and that said, I still sell stuff. Like it's uncopyrighted, and yet people will still pay for it, right? <laughs> because they want to support me, and I I love that. I love that I'm being supported by this community of people making their lives better and learning mindfulness. So I just feel so gratified. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. When did you create the super clean, minimal aesthetic for the for the site? It's It was an evolution. I, I've always been my own uh, 
site designer. So I, I basically just go in and like mess with uh, the WordPress stuff and uh, start stripping stuff out and break the site. <laughs> um, and then eventually I decided I'm going to make my own theme. Uh, but it's been like that probably like five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, and when you before first had... did it, it was, it was radical because I was so used to seeing so much nonsense on every yeah. website that you would visit and it would just be this clean white page and there was like nothing non-essential was there <laughs> whatsoever i was like how's this guy making a living like how does this even work like i know you're like supporting six kids and now that i think about it it's actually more like seven years or eight but uh-huh. anyway um yeah you know that was actually again i ripped stuff off from others so i i stole that from um a, a read later service called instapaper i don't know if you've ever seen that but yeah, it's one of those yeah you like save web content and read it later on their site and they take the just the essential content and save it and the, and take away all the ads and all the other things that you don't want to see and only the stuff you want to see and so you read it on their site or on the app and it's just text in a beautiful readable readable form mm-hmm. and i'm like that's the pure reading experience that i want to create i don't want to give people ads or all these like sign up for my whatever um, that's not why they're there they're there for to read this article and make their connect with it and make their lives better. And so if I can create that pure experience, that's what I want when I go to someone else's site. So I'm creating that for them. That's just like giving what I want to receive. And um, I love it. I, it's just my favorite thing that I've done. One of my favorite things I've done is just create this site that is a pure reading experience. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, <clears throat> I mean, you are you know, at the tip of the spear or the vanguard of what has turned into this huge cultural phenomenon of minimalism, living more sustainably, living more mindfully. Again, these are not new ideas. Yeah. Uh, but for whatever reason, by whatever cultural alchemy is at play, they have percolated to the surface of mainstream consciousness in a really profound way. Yeah. Um, and it's so it's got to be cool and gratifying for you you know, now 10 years, you know, nine years after you launched Zen Habits to be kind of in the mix of what everybody yeah. is talking about. So gratifying. I mean, I'm sure you know that you know this feeling too. Um, that's why I feel a connection with you is when you put your stuff out there, you don't know what's going to happen with it. Like, you know, you, again, you have this fear. Maybe people won't will judge it as unworthy. And then they take it and not only think, oh, this is good stuff but they change their lives with it. Like how profound is that to be incredibly? There's nothing, there's nothing more profound that you can experience as a human being than to have that kind of impact on another person. Yeah. And so, I mean, so you get it. That's, that's how I feel. And I, I feel such a privilege to be a part of people's lives in that way and that they take it and use it in their own way at whatever level they want to use it. And sometimes it's way deeper than I would have imagined. And that's, like that's amazing and then to be a part of a community of people like yourself and other bloggers and other podcasters and people making youtube videos like we're all connected in that way in in spirit but also in i show up here in your studio and we we do this together or i link to somebody on my blog and i feel like i know you already we can just pop in and and have a shorthand and here's the thing you and i the people the the men who are sitting here today in this room we are who we are because of each other. Like you have influenced my thinking and my life and, and, re- and you've told me the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have kind of co-created each other. And 
And like, I wouldn't be who I am right now if it weren't for you. And, yeah, and, and vice, vice versa. versa. I mean, that's a crazy, that's crazy <laughs> to think about that. That's and that, like the, yeah, and, and it's, it's totally in a very true. real way. Yeah, totally true. And like, there are people who are vegan in this world because of you. You created that the version of, of human being that they are right now. And there are people who have changed their habits or learned mindfulness because of me. They've created who they are and, and vice versa by them taking in that to their lives and supporting me financially, but also just reading my stuff and paying attention, giving me the gift of their attention. They've created who I am. Like I wouldn't be who I am right now if it weren't for everybody reading my stuff, if it weren't mm -hmm. for other bloggers supporting me and the community of like-minded, like-hearted individuals who are trying to create this. I just feel such a privilege to be a part of this. And it's not just the reader blogger relationship. It's the, all the other bloggers and podcasters and creators. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. But why do you think now, like what's going on now in the world that created this confluence of circumstances that made these ideas that you've been talking about for a while and others have been talking about so relevant and so um, applicable to uh, people's lives and, and what they're looking for? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't, I don't have the, the full answer, but I'll tell you this. When I started writing about simplicity on Zen Habits, that's one of the first things I wrote about, simplifying your life, leading, leaving a, leading a simple life. Um, I thought I was weird. And so I had been reading books on simplicity, uh, some little known ones now, but they influenced me. And so I'm like, this is really amazing stuff. And I want to write about it, but I didn't think anyone would care because mm -hmm. no one in my personal life cared about it. Um, so I shared it. And not only, not only that, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. Everybody's looking to accumulate as much as possible. Like their, their exactly attention right. is on <laughs> a diametrically opposed to what you were becoming more and it, more interested. It's in. so counter to our culture that like no one even, it's not on their radar, but Here's the, the strange thing. People who read my blog, they just happened upon it. However, they, they might've been exposed to it for the first time. Maybe it was the third time they ever exposed to the idea of simplifying your life and having less. There was something in it that spoke to their hearts and it just ignited. And that's how my blog took off was because I think of, of mindfulness and simplicity and, and also changing your habits. But there was something in that simplicity and mindfulness message that just resonated with people and made them like want to change their lives and then share it with others. And I wouldn't be here if that didn't resonate with people. And I didn't realize that it was going to. So it was a complete shock to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, whoa, this message speaks to people. And it it was a two, three years of me just reflecting on like, why is this speaking to people? And as I started to hear from readers and of ways that it changed their lives, I started to understand what you're asking about, what like how why now, right? And it's because of what you're saying. Our entire culture is geared for more. Um, and, you know, not obviously advertising and consuming, that's what we do. Um, and that's like everything is about that. I and mean, we have like vending stuff in schools now. So kids are learning to be consumers at, and they have the iPads where they're buying, mm -hmm. <laughs> buying stuff. So we're learning to be consumers at a very young age. But there's also just the more, more, more aspect of online stuff and your phones. And that what we talked about in the beginning is that that tendency to greed has been triggered so much more now because of technology and the culture that we're in, advertising, TV, all of that stuff. Um, it's it's just taking our, our normal human tendency that's been there since caveman days 
and amplified it. It's given it this microphone and mm-hmm. like a megaphone basically. And, um, and there's something in us that realizes that it's crazy and we want some sanity in our lives mm-hmm. and it's out of control and we want a feeling of control. Now, I don't think you're actually going to get a feeling of control by doing the stuff that I tell you. Um, but what you learn through the journey is you don't necessarily need it. <laughs> I think there's a level of control. Control in the sense that you are becoming more masterful in your decision-making process about what you're allowing into your life and into your home. Yeah. Right? And so there's a, there's control over that. And I think that yeah. that feels good in a world that spins out of control, you know, that's spinning out of control with our, you know, insane consumer habits. Right. Now what I'm, what I, and you're absolutely right. Like the control is over your own mastery, your internal stuff. But what I think people, when they first come to it, they want is the external mastery, like the external control. Like there's no stuff in my life, you know, no clutter. My email box is down to zero. Um, like I have a perfect system in the morning and perfect productivity system. And therefore that, nothing bad will ever happen to me in my life. <laughs> you right? insulate yourself from discomfort. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's not going to, as opposed to actually getting, com- getting, being okay with the discomfort. Right. Yeah. And so you can build all of the external like systems of control and you're still going to run from writing that chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because you might have one email. Right? <laughs> you know, your inbox isn't at zero. Yeah. We're very good at telling ourselves these stories that rationalize us running for mm-hmm. sure. So minimalism is, isn't really like we talk about, like you just mentioned, you know, cleaning out the closet or yeah. donating all your stuff or, you know, declining to accumulate additional things, but <clears throat> it's not really about the stuff, right? So when you no. have to define minimalism how do you give words to it it's yeah it's not about the stuff it's um the way that i normally define it and i'm gonna change it up um here because of because of your presence here uh that's influencing me but uh, the, better or worse <laughs> yeah taking me down a, a dark path no uh, so normally I, I say is really it's about trying to understand what's essential to you and this letting the rest kind of fade away, like kind of saying no to the rest, that, that saying no that we talked about. So like what's essential in terms of stuff, right? Like is everything that we own essential or is it just adding more clutter to our lives? Is it adding beauty and joy to our lives or is it draining us of energy and also finances, you know? Mm-hmm. So like there's, there's a lot of... Um, of reflection on that. And, and by def- understanding what's essential, what you're really doing is, is understanding what's who you are and what's important to you, what your values are. And so that's, that's, it's an internal thing. So to me, minimalism is starts with the clearing out your cluttered closet. And that's where the journey starts. Just like your journey might've started by putting on a pair of running shoes or, or whatever, you know, or, you know, clearing out the liquor cabinet first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. years before the running shoes. Yeah. You know? But it was, it, it was really just the start of the journey, you know? And so, um, you know, that's where it starts. But when you, when you start to say, okay, well, if I'm going to like, if I want to get down to a hundred things, let's say you set some external limit like that. And it's completely arbitrary. Like, what do I keep? well, what do I want my life to be? Like, who am I? What's important to me? And then you even like think of people like, is this person giving me 
energy in my life and making my life better or are they just dragging me down but just the fact that you're asking yourself those questions you know is huge that's right yeah no you that's you hit on minimalism it's really just allowing yourself to ask the questions because most people in our culture are not asking those questions they go along with their their normal conditioning Mm -hmm. Um, and so pausing and saying huh is this the way i want to live my life it's it's a start of a conscious life so that's that's what minimalism is to me is just mm-hmm. a conscious life and it's letting go also it's a letting go process letting go of not only possessions but of the things that like of not being able to do everything and saying i can't and so i need to let go of some things that i think are important and the ones that i've identified as absolutely important mm-hmm. as well as ideas and thoughts about yourself yeah right? yeah I mean, it, it can get as deep as you want it to get. Right. Um, and, and really, even if you just cluttered out the closet, I think you're already, um, you've already achieved something amazing uh, because most people don't even take a look at that and say there's any, there's even a question there, you know? What it does for me and I go through, you know, it's like I, I clean it out and then for whatever reason, it seems like it's full again. Like yeah. a couple of, I mean, now like people send me stuff in the mail. I get all these boxes yeah. all the time, stuff I don't, I'm not even asking for. And I don't know what to do with it. It finds its way into my closet and then, then I have to give it away or, you know, I don't know. It's, it's you live such like, a hard life getting so, all this free stuff. It's like <laughs> people must send you stuff too. Well, maybe they know yeah. better. It, that's they, sort of they an find ironic my address thing. somehow. Yeah, it's like it, it's such an ironic thing to send you something. Yeah, when you're who you are. I got a book on minimalism for. that someone sent me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's not great. cluttering my closet. Um, but for me, like when I do that purge, um, there's a it's it feels incredibly good. Like whatever oh, yeah. whatever I'm trying to you know avoid whatever like I'm trying to medicate myself with. Yes, that's a better feeling. I'm sure I'm triggering the same, you know, receptors or whatever, but yeah. it's an amazing feeling. And, and it, and it does get you into the habit of like being just dis, being discerning, like what right. is this versus this? Do I need this? Do I not need this? Just that calculus, you know, and the more you can make that a habit, you see it spill into other areas of your life. So when you say, look, if all you do is clean out your closet, for me, I think what that does is it, it catalyzes a, a perspective, Yes, you know, that I think if you kind of plant that seed will continue to grow and show up in other areas of your life Yeah, that will get you asking questions about what is meaningful to you. And I think the more you're asking that question of yourself, that's how you develop, you know, that's how you connect with who you are. That's how you figure out what it is that you're here to do. That's how yeah. you express, you know, bring life and voice to that authentic person that is probably, you know, more dormant than you would like to believe. I couldn't have said it better. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that um, and just put it on my you website. Steal, I'm not copywriting. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the other thing um, that I found is, is turning to the, the clutter closet and you start to, you know, get rid of stuff. It's, it's liberating because you don't realize how much stress your stuff is causing you, what a burden it is until you start to face it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it can be a profound experience just clearing out your closet from mm-hmm. all the, the inner stuff that you're talking about and just from a point of relief from the burden, you know? How do you uh, conceptualize or think about the relationship that you have to living simplistically, living minimally uh, with Zen, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the blog is Zen Habits. Zen infuses your work and mm-hmm. your perspective on the world. Um, so you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. 
you know, first it was, it was more of an aesthetic thing, to be honest. When I first started, I saw pictures of like Zen temples and they're so minimalist and beautiful. Like I want that. And so I started simplifying mm-hmm. my life to get that external aesthetic thing. Um, and then as I started doing it, you know, like, like all of these journeys, you start to go, you know, it starts to open you up to other things, but the, the Zen aspect of, of it is, it's about uh, letting go. So, you know, it's about having a flexible mind. Um, and a flexible mind means you have to let go of whatever you're fixating on. Um, and so, yeah, just clearing out your stuff is, is letting go of, you know, like I might have a pair, like, like some kind of exercise equipment that I had thought that I was going to hold, like that I was going to make me better, you know, it's going to make me into an ultra athlete or something like that. And I, and I've, it's been sitting there gathering dust. And so I am holding on to the possibility of that and letting go of that means letting go of the attachment to that possibility. And it doesn't mean it won't actually happen. Like maybe I will become an ultra athlete, but I don't need to hold on to all of these, these things that are representing that possibility. Mm. So it's a letting go practice, um, which is absolutely for me, what, at least what, what Zen, um, is a lot about is just letting go of all of these urges of running, of attachments to things, attachments to self image. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, we're attached to a lot of things right. more than we, we, even Zen masters are attached to stuff. Um, and so it's just a constant, like noticing the attachment and learning to let go of that out of love for yourself and others. So when you write, are you trying to, are you making a conscious effort to contextualize how you think about these ideas, you know, minimalism, et cetera, in the context of Zen, or is that just a Mm. byproduct of your general interest in the world? That's a really interesting question. I don't normally, uh, put Zen as the context. And the reason I do that is because I think there are some things about Zen that can be appealing to people. And so like, if I said, Oh, this is the Zen way to declutter your house. People might, might, um, you know, go to it for that because of that, Mm -hmm. like they want Zen in their life. Right. And, um, it's a false promise. It's basically marketing Zen and which is my blog is named Zen. So I have already done that, uh, but it's, it's not what they're going to get if they run to the Zen way to declutter. Right. So I don't do it because of, of that. I don't want to give in to people's tendency. I already, I've done it enough with just my blog title. Um, and they, when you use the word Zen or Zen Buddhism or just the context of it, people who don't know it, they think they're getting something and then they don't get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is Zen can also be off-putting to people. So it's the other way, like you run towards it because there's appeal. Right. And so I, what I, what I try and do is put it into very simple, like everyday terms that, you know, like, you know, exactly what I'm talking about because you and your wife are such interesting contrast. There's such great merge of the, of both of your energies, but she's very, very spiritual, right? And there's beauty are in that. Are you saying I'm not? <laughs> oh, you are in your rich way, right? Uh-huh. But there's beauty in her, you know, spirituality. Right. And yet there's things that she can say that people won't get, mm-hmm. right? They, they, and it might make them like back away, right? And so I, I feel that with Zen. I, you can go into a Zen uh, temple and to meditate with them. And it's like there's all this chanting and you don't know what to do. And there's incense and an altar and like 
what the hell is going on here? (laughs) It's dripping in costuming and artifice that for a lot of people creates a barrier to them. Exactly. Their ability to actually just see the core idea behind it. So if I can boil it down to just doable ideas that people can, can get, at least to the extent that I'm able to, then that is me bringing the Zen message Mm-hmm. Um, out there, at least in my limited understanding of it and the way that I can deliver it. Um, but, and, and honestly, like, I don't want to, uh, f- frame the Zen way of, of like, you know, costumery and all of that stuff as a, in a negative way. It is off putting to people and it is a barrier, but the way that they do things is actually very supportive of their practice so that there's right. a reason for it all. Um, we just won't understand it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's beauty to it. But if somebody's been raised in the Catholic Church their right. whole life or, you know, it's just it's because they have no frame of reference. It's foreign to them. So yes. then, you know, it, it there's an uphill sort of, you know, mountain it, to climb to it's a get gate. to that place yeah. of understanding that. So if you can remove that gate and just communicate, cl- you know, super clearly right. in a way that anybody can understand it. On and that, they're on that beautiful white page. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's what I try and do. So I, that's that's exactly why I don't do it um, in the Zen context. I do sometimes introduce Zen uh, words or concepts, mm-hmm. um, but it's not yeah, like you've spoken. I mean, your influences are, you know, Pema Chodron and oh, yeah. Not Han and you know people like that that are, yeah. that are known from Suzuki, that, right? uh, Roshi. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I'm stealing and I'm heavily influenced. Let's just put it that way in yeah. a kinder way. Who are some of the other big influences on you? Um, so I have a, a teacher who doesn't write much. Um, and her teacher, uh, his name is Reb Anderson. He's with the San Francisco Zen Center. Mm-hmm. I was there like head abbot for a long time. And now he's just like this honored teacher. Uh, I'm profoundly influenced by him um, and uh, and her. Uh, her name is Susan O'Connell. Uh, she's a Zen priest as well. Uh, the Tibetan Buddhists are, are very um, influential on me. Um, and then just, I mean, all the... Have you been to Tibet? I have not. Go. I want to. Have you? No, I haven't. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I've been to Japan, but not Tibet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I want to a lot. <laughs> That's a trip you need to do. Yes. Um, and I need to meet Pema Chodron someday. Mm. Um, I feel like she's my, one of my spiritual teachers yeah. and she doesn't know it. <laughs> Where does she live? Uh, she has a monastery in uh, Nova Scotia. Uh, yeah. But she's in seclusion. It's her 80th birthday this year and mm. she's in complete like seclusion with wow. one teaching in New York. And I tried to sign up for it and it's full. Wow. So it's not meant to be yet. Not yet. <laughs> you're, not, you're not ready, grasshopper. Yeah. But there's so many... Um, people who've influenced me and um, like I, I was telling you before this that I've been taking up yoga and I'm now being influenced by the, the yogic uh, philosophy mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of uh, merge merging of the two yeah it, it, it overlaps sure. quite a bit I think yeah so how do you I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about how you um, how you convey these ideas in your own household you got six kids some of them are grown and out of the house you got all ages you're married you're very much living in the world you're not like a single guy living it you know ted kaczynski style in the (laughs) woods like you're you know you got real life obligations and pressures um so how do you instill these notions into your children? What is your, you know, I, I want to talk about education and parenting yeah. and, and how you kind of navigate all of that because it's super interesting. Um, I, I think I, I was listening to a podcast where the two of you 
you and your wife talked about uh, veganism with your kids. And we have a similar philosophy is that they're on their own journey. So with veganism, we, we went vegan like in the middle of my kid's journey. So I'm uh-huh. still in the beginning, but like they, was, they were already meat eaters. So. And what was the impetus for you to go vegan? I wish I could say it was you because that would be so cool. <laughs> By the way, I'm not fishing for that, but like, I'm genuinely <laughs> no, interested I just, in what it I was. I feel like saying that right now, but it's not true. Um, it was just a bunch of things. I, I went into it as a vegetarian to become healthier. Um, I was overweight and then I started reading about like educating myself and of course looking for inspiration. And then, then you learn, uh, as everyone knows, you learn about animal wo- uh, welfare and the horrible stuff that we do to, to turn them into food. And it's just like, I, you know, once you are awake to that, it's really hard to turn it off. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was a, it was a progress. Um, it was a progression. Um, but you can apply the minimalism calculus to it, right? Because yeah. you can say, well, is this serving me? Right. Is this not serving me? Is it what necessary? Are the, what are the, yeah. What are the implications of making this choice on yeah. my life and the life of others? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just the one of the things was like, oh, I thought I needed this stuff. Like I needed cheese or whatever. And then that was like my 99%. I was 99% vegan. That was my 1%. I would eat cheese once in a while. Mm-hmm. And then I like let go of it. And I realized I didn't need it all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't miss it at all. Although I'm looking forward to your wife's... Uh, the cheese book. Cheese book. Yeah. yeah, vegan cheese. I actually, I just had some nut-based vegan cheese and it was delicious. Mm. But I haven't missed it at all. Um, and so, yeah, it's like that letting go. Like, I think I need this as an attachment. I thought I needed meat and then I let go of it. And it's like, oh, I don't need it anymore. And for health reasons too. Like, I often thought, like, you need this stuff to be healthy. And I, I it turns out, like, you can, I know it's a big surprise to you, but you can actually be completely healthy as a vegan. <laughs> and like, if you, if you can be completely healthy as a vegan, then what's the justification for putting the animals through that kind of suffering? It's like your pleasure basically. Um, and so like, I just, yeah, I started to turn that spotlight on that just like I did with, with minimalism. And mm-hmm. it was like, actually it's not necessary. And I'm just going to go with what is necessary for my health and it's plants. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that was my journey. And of course it was actually supported by other influences of people on me. And then two friends who we met in London who were vegan. Um, one of them runs a, a vegan uh, site now called plantshift.com. It's a little plug there, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, they came and visited us and we spent um, a week in San Francisco, taking them around to different vegan restaurants. And that was an influence on us was just having this vegan experience with two people who are very strongly believing in veganism. And yeah, when, when you see that influence that you have on each other, like I said, we create each other, mm-hmm. we co-create each other and they created us who we are today because of that influence. Oh, that's really it's cool. amazing, right? It's cool. We have, we are all influencing each other all the time, even sometimes without knowing it. And we're just creating the people that we are with this huge network, this mesh of influences and it's all one consciousness <laughs> exactly no no don't 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 tell them that <laughs> no but that's that's my belief is that we're yeah. all that we're all con- constantly co-creating each other mm-hmm. um and we wouldn't be the people we are without each other and we're completely enmeshed in this network of human hearts yeah no there's no question about it yeah now now more so than ever because of podcasts and blogs yeah. and all you know everything that the internet avails us of 
We're so intertwined. So, but yeah, that that was my vegan right. journey. So you do that, and then you talked a little bit about kind of your basic philosophy with your kids is similar to ours, like oh, yeah. allowing them their own journey. And then, and then, where does the 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 homeschooling and the unschooling yeah. come into that? Again, influenced by my by someone it was my sister who was um, homeschooling her kids, and and our kids were um, in school. One of them was being punished by his teachers because he was reading in class. <laughs> and like a novel and he was supposed to be doing something that he already understood and like was was bored with already and i was like that school is not meeting our kids needs and I, not not of course there are amazing teachers in the world and i'm not saying all teachers are like that but that it was just like oh we we can actually meet his needs probably better and my wife decided to like quit her job and uh unschool our kids actually it was homeschooling at first, and then we went along the unschooling route a couple of years later. Explain unschooling for people that might not be familiar yeah. with what that is. It's a version of homeschooling, so you do it at home. But uh, homeschooling often is doing school in the house, just like okay, we're doing reading, we're doing math, we're doing history, and often you're following a curriculum with textbooks, and you're doing exactly the same activity, but just at home, which is a great experience. Uh, not knocking that at all. But unschooling is like, what if we? wiped this entire board clear and started from a clean slate and like what would it be if we didn't school our kids and it's just like taking a, a new look at teaching like education philosophy and like do our kids need to learn x by this grade and x by this grade and y by this grade and so forth and like who came up with that curriculum <laughs> some like you know someone with a degree obviously but like in the education system who doesn't know my kid at all and they've like decided the perfect route for them to to do what to become ready for college to become ready for a day job and so it's like a factory that it puts and again i don't want to make people who are putting their kids through school uh, feel bad about what they're doing because everyone is being the best parent that they can but for us it was like we didn't quite we once you start with a blank slate you throw out those goals like actually what we want to do is make them become good human beings and how do we do that and one of the things one of the problems with school it's going to sound like school bashing is it's a um, top-down approach. Like the teacher has the wisdom, they teach you. And unschooling is about you becoming your own teacher and deciding what your curriculum is. What are you excited about? Like you and I are doing every single day. And it's actually preparing them to be like passionate creators and human beings and learners, lifelong learners, because, you know, no one is telling us what to learn these days, but we keep learning. And that's exactly what kids do naturally. And if we can just get out of their way and not like force them to learn certain things in certain ways, they'll learn naturally and they'll learn what's important to them. And they'll learn how to motivate themselves to learn if like they want to build a teepee or something like that. Like, how do you do that? Well, I got to go figure it out. And then you learn to be motivated and you learn to find resources and support and all of the things that we do as adults. That's what kids would naturally do if you get out of their way. So that's what unschooling is. Yeah. It's amazing. It's uh we unschooled um we unschooled our daughters until about a year ago so yeah. we had a very similar journey they're in they're in school now um <clears throat> which is which very, i, I want to say you can be an amazing parent kids can get amazing experience in school yeah so, this yeah. is not again this is not about school bashing yeah I mean, i've had a bunch of amazing educators on the podcast and uh -huh. we've explored all these subject matters so yeah but i think it's it isn't it is i think it is important to stop for a moment and think use discernment and really think about like our educational system. Like it's a system that 
was really erected in the you know the industrial the industrial revolution yeah in, you know 1800s organized around creating a productive workforce yeah and it's essentially remained unchanged since then and yet our culture and our society has changed so dramatically so radically and the acceleration of that change is something that I don't think we fully appreciate um, <clears throat> and I think it's important to take a look at that and and understand that maybe it's not for every kid. And that's yeah. not such a bad thing. And the uh, and and to ask that question, it's like it takes a lot of courage because you're stepping outside one of the most um, reinforced systems of our culture. And for you to say, actually, I'm I'm gonna, and we all want to. Nobody wants to do wrong by their kid. Yeah, like, we all want to do the right thing. It's scary. It's very scary. Yeah, it takes a lot of faith and courage to step outside that and say, you know what? I don't know that it matters for my child if they're at this certain reading level or math level by this certain age, like that rule was established, but I'm going to like look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. It's, it's super scary and there's immense uncertainty. Um, and that is the same exact experience of becoming minimalist and simplifying mm -hmm. your life, letting go of the normal, the norms of the culture. It's the same thing as becoming a vegan I mean, there's, I, for me, I feel a little more certainty with veganism, but I mean, it, it's anytime you step outside of the cultural norm, these institutions that you talked about, it's scary. And you'll feel a lot of resistance from family members, friends, people who are, you know, like if you're doing unschooling, people who are, who are sending their kids to school, they become very defensive every time I talk about this, maybe because it sounds like I am bashing schools. Um, but uh, you know, so you have to fight against all of that in addition to your own uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And that's on top of, you know, doing stuff for your kids. So right. yeah, it's tough. Like understanding that you are innately a flawed human being. Yeah. Right. And you're sitting on, you know, in charge of this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I mean, that's what we are as parents. We are in charge of right. some fragile and we're going to screw them up somehow. So <laughs> Right, right, right. But when you put them in school, at least there's comfort in that if you're screwing up your kid, you're screwing up your kid the, the way everyone way. else is screwing up their kid. You know what I mean? So how long but have you, you been? You and I know that like doing the same thing as everybody else isn't necessarily. That didn't work out for me. It's not the me. path that we want. Yeah, it, didn't, it didn't work out for me. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes swimming against the stream is, is hard and yet it's so rewarding. So mm -hmm. I'm really happy we've made all the choices we've made. Yeah. So you've been homeschooling for how long then? Or unschooling? Uh... Gosh, I mean, you have a you More, have a, you have your oldest your oldest is your daughter and she's a journalist. She's twenty four. Twenty four, and was she, she didn't she wasn't in school, so she was a product of a more yeah. Standard she education. she decided on her own to to stay in school, and uh -huh. I have another son who's nineteen, also decided. Um, I would say at least ten years. Yeah, yeah. And if you could like nine years, maybe encapsulate like what that experience has been like for your kids. How would you? Um, filled with uncertainty. And actually, oh, that's actually one, one of the best things about unschooling is that they have no certainty that they're going on the right path. Um, and that's what we want because, you know, school can give you some artificial sense of certainty. Like you follow this path and you're going to become this amazing human being. Everything will be well in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to have, you're going to get a job. You're going to be fulfilled and get a dream house and the perfect spouse. And of course, that does work out uh, normally. Um, but <laughs> with with unschooling, you have no certainty. There's no one holding your hand. You're holding your own hand. You have to take personal responsibility. You have to, there's yeah. agency, right? 
So I think the child learns earlier that, you know, what's up to them and what's not. Like they become self-directed. In a more conscious way. Actually, kids deal with uncertainty in school too and in everyday life. So yeah, I mean, it, but in a, a, unschooling, it's it's a conscious choice to be put yourself in that uncon, in that certain uncertain place. Um, I forgot the original question, but <laughs> just how do you you know how is it, how have your kids responded? Oh, what's to it? been like their how, yeah? What is their, their experience? experience been? Yeah, it's it's um, it's a tough thing, you know. Um, I I would say that I think they are glad that they did it, and I, that's not um, the truth. Is they are glad they they did it. Um, they've told us so. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they deal with all kinds of doubts put in, usually put in by their family members about, oh, you're not being socialized or you're not learning math, you know, all these things. The socialization thing is the thing you get the most, at least that we've yeah. gotten the most. Yep. Um, and that's the thing I'm the least concerned about. <laughs> well, you're an enlightened human being. Well, I mean, just there's a lot of people that come through this house, you know, all the time. Like our kids are exposed to all kinds of interesting people yeah. because of, you know, the people that we tend to invite over. Right. And so they're seeing and meeting and, and eating and communing with all kinds of people from all different walks of life. And I've noticed that, you know, our older boys, like they're so comfortable sitting down and having like really intense dinner conversations with people that are like 20, 30 years older than them. There's not, they don't do the navel gazing thing. And I'm not taking credit for that. Like they're just, they're beings. It's who they are, but But you've influenced that. But I think, I think sort of taking them out of the structures allowed some of that to blossom in them. Yeah. I think, you know, and that's the truth is, uh, that is how people have been socialized for entire human history. The, the socialization in school is, like you said, a, a recent development. We've only decided all five-year-olds need to go in one classroom and all six-year-olds. people their age. Yeah, yeah. That, that was never the, you know, from the tribal days when you're, you're there with the old people and they're teaching you how to weave and hunt and all that stuff to like, you know, the medieval ages where you're in a village, you know, mm-hmm. like that's always been a communal thing is socializing kids. And it's not you're just the parent and and, and the father and, and mother who are doing that. It was always the entire village who cared for the kids. And we've moved so far away from that. Yeah. So what you're what you're talking about, you've you've gone back to human nature. You know, True. I mean, I'm not saying you can't have great socialization in school. There's some amazing schools and amazing amazing educators, but it's not necessary for to to make a good human being. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's dependent on each individual, I think. Yeah. You know, if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer or a scientist, you know, like it's probably, you probably might be better off in a traditional school system that's That's, oriented around, you know, working you towards that goal. Definitely possible, especially in those ones where you need to get a a certain degree in Mm -hmm. certification. Uh, But you can go, you can be unschooled until college and then just dive into college the normal route and uh, we have a niece who, who did that my, my sister's daughter she's in a normal college now but she know she wasn't schooled during her right. high school years for the most part yeah right that's cool all right well we gotta uh we gotta wind this down here right. but um before i let you go <clears throat> i want to i want to kind of uh go back to something we touched on a little bit earlier which is you know which you related in your own personal journey but uh, I think would be helpful for somebody who's listening to this, who's like, you know what? I'm like, I'm ready for a change. Like I'm digging what Leo has to say. Like, how do I get off the dime here? Like, what's the first thing that I do or what's a strategy that I can take away from this 
that I can immediately put to work in my own life and start to shift my, whether it's my relationship or perspective with, you know, the material world that surrounds me or whether it's how I'm communicating with my kids about education or whatever it is like, yeah. you know, what is, you know, what are, what is something that you could leave people with some concrete first yeah. steps? Yeah. So the, the thing that we did with you where you're feeling that energy and sitting with it, I think that's the most important thing that they can do. And yet that can be a difficult thing. So having some kind of practice container for that, whether it's sitting in for five, 10 minutes of meditation. And actually I recommend people as a habit building thing, start with two minutes of meditation. Um, and yeah, I know you, um, used to use, I don't know if you still do the, the headspace app. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. Um, there's, I, I use uh, insight timer, another great meditation app. There's some good ones on there that just can give you some guided meditation to start with. Um, I found that meditation to be one of the best, like fundamental habits that, that helps you to build other habits and helps you along all of these journeys. Um, so yeah, I would start with that. And if you can, if you are a procrastinator, I'm actually doing a whole, um, thing with uh, a program that I have on procrastination this month. And it's just like watching your patterns and the way that I, I, you can, instead of doing meditation, if you want to work on procrastination, it's the same exact thing. But say, okay, before I check my phone, before I check email or Facebook on my computer, all I'm going to do is set aside five minutes, maybe 10 minutes a day, depending on where you are. Um, if you're super procrastinator, do five minutes. So five minutes a day before I check anything, and I'm going to set myself a task, one little task that will take like five minutes of writing my chapter, right? Um, so write five, five minutes of this chapter and... I'm going to set a timer and I'm going to set an intention to stay with my discomfort. And you set that timer and you stay with it and you're going to watch yourself want to run <laughs> like, Oh, I'll start the timer in a minute because I'm going to go do my dishes or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. and you want to stay there. So you're, you're, you have two choices, sit there and do that task or just sit there and you can't let yourself run. Uh -huh. And this is a intentional like kind of corralling yourself in and just watching that urge and then practice with that urge. So just sit there and watch the discomfort. Where is it located in your body? Not your, your thinking like, Oh, you know, there's always stories that are going on. Like, am I going to fail? Like, are people going to judge me? All these stories. But what you want to do is go into that body feeling that we, we talked about. Where is it located? What does it feel like? Describe the energy, the physical energy in your body and then stay with that. And then when you feel like that's, you know, gone to a point where it's not that not overwhelming, go back to the writing your chapter. I'm going to try that. All right. That sounds good. And if you I are like a, uh, a master at this already, uh, do 10 minutes. And if you're even better than that, do 15 minutes. And if you want, and if you get to that level where you can do 15 minutes straight, take a break, have some tea as, as rich likes to do and, um, and do another 15 minutes after that. So it's like interval training. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't have to do like, you know, 20 intervals. You can just do two or three, uh, but, but build up to that. Start with the five minutes. Right. It's I like recommend. a work. It's like a workout for your brain, for your consciousness. It's training and staying with uncertainty mm -hmm. and discomfort. And cause you want to, you're rebuilding those, you're rebuilding those pathways and then trying to reinforce them. Yeah. And the, the side benefit is you'll do your taxes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Unless you want to be the, the guy who just sits there and does nothing. Hey, that right? that's a practice too. <laughs> right. I guess so. Right. All right. Well, cool. Well, this was amazing. 
Um, thank you for your time. Oh my God. Beautiful I feel to be so honored to sit down and talk to you. This was great. Uh, will you come back and do it again? I will come back anytime you want me to. All right, cool. And next time I come up north, maybe I'll ring you up and we could do it again there. Yeah, we will have tea. Cool. Awesome. Well, again, uh, you know, thank you for the work that you do. It's, uh, it's a gift to humankind. And my only wish for you is to continue to do what you do and continue to spread your message. And to the extent that I can help facilitate that or help spread it, uh, please consider me a resource. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's a beautiful, authentic expression that is profoundly helping a lot of people. And it's it's great to be able to talk to you a little bit about it. That means a lot to me. Cool. Uh, it's very gratifying. And I, I the feeling goes both ways. I hope you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thanks, man. So uh, if you want to connect with Leo, Zen Habits is the website. That's the best place. You can find him on Twitter at Zen underscore habits. Yeah. Right. The regular Zen habits was taken. But what? It's right. what? Who took it? I don't know. It's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zen underscore habits is right. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you have an online course, right? Sea change. Sea change is actually a member monthly membership program where mm -hmm. I do online courses. And the, this month, um, I don't know when this is coming out, but we, we do a, a different one every month. Um, and it's all about what I'm, what we just described, but in different contexts, whether it's eating a plant-based diet to exercise to you know uh, mindfully pro procrastinating so yeah that's cool that's yeah really cool all right so you could check that out and also you have a retreat coming up april 21 through 27th 23rd, 23rd. Uh, yeah it's a it's two and a half days is my first one and it's it's a, a key part of that mission that i i talked about of of ending human struggles um and uh I, it's it's going to be something that i do over and over um so you can catch me when I've refined it to um, brilliance or you can catch me now in it's raw state and being on the ground floor. So I, I recommend you get the raw stuff because it'll be fun. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, I'll put up uh, links to all that stuff in awesome. the show notes, uh, but you can find out about all of that at Zen Habits, right? Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Man. Awesome. Well, enjoy the rest of your time in LA. Thank you, Rich. Are you going to hit a, uh, any more vegan restaurants? Where have oh you eaten God. and where do you want to go? Uh, I just did... My first breakfast at Cafe Gratitude. I've been there before, but uh -huh. the breakfast was amazing. Uh, we've done... That's like my commissary. Oh, like my God. I eat most of my meals if I'm not eating at home. <laughs> you guys are so lucky down here. Um, well, they, Cafe Gratitude started in the Bay Area. And they closed to, it. Yeah, the original well, locations. But they have Gracias Madre is still open yeah. in the mission. Yeah, yeah. But the original one was in San Francisco. They closed it. Then mm -hmm. they closed the Berkeley one. Yeah. Anyway... So we're down here. We're just taking advantage of this beautiful stuff. There's plant food and wine we went to last night. Oh, cool. Uh, loved it. Um, and um, we're going to Crossroads tonight. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah so there's some amazing ones. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah. enjoy, man. Thank you. All right. Peace. Plants. I absolutely love that talk. It was so cool to talk to Leo. I can't wait to have him on again. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Be sure to check out zenhabits.net uh, for all of Leo's writing on his blog, as well as his many books, his many offerings. As always, please make a point of checking out the show notes on the episode page at ritual.com for a ton of links and additional resources related to today's conversation to help take your edification and your infotainment beyond your ear goggles. 
and if you would like to support this show and my work, there's a couple ways to do that. First, just share it with your friends and on social media. I love that. You can leave a review on iTunes. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe. When you're on iTunes, click that subscribe button. Really important. Uh, and then if you're going to buy something on Amazon, it would mean a lot if you would click through the Amazon banner ad at ritual.com first. You can find that banner ad on most of the episode pages, all of the episode pages, as a matter of fact. Or you can just type in ritual.com forward slash Amazon. Uh, you can bookmark that to your browser. Next time you need to go to Amazon, click through that. And it won't cost you anything extra on your purchases, but Amazon uh, enriches us with some commission change, and that really does support what we're trying to do here. In addition, we have a Patreon. Uh, if you want to take that extra step and support my work financially, many people have been doing that, and I'm so thankful and grateful for that. So thank you for that. The Patreon banner ad is also on every episode page on ritual.com for this show. Uh, if you would like to receive a free short weekly email from me, I send one out every Thursday. It's called Roll Call. It's basically five or six uh, tips, tools, resources that I've come across over the course of the week. Generally, a couple articles I've read, a podcast I've listened to, a documentary I've watched, a product that I've stumbled across that I'm enjoying, uh, just things that inspire me that I find useful. Never any spam. There's not any affiliate links in this. I'm not trying to make any money. It's just a way for me to connect with you guys in a new and different way more directly. So you can subscribe to that on my website, anywhere where you put your email in, you can find that anywhere. Uh, also on my site, we have signed copies of Finding Ultra and the Plant Power Way, our books. We got t-shirts, we got tech tees, we got cool Plant Power merch and swag. Uh, so check that out as well. Uh, I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, for production, for help with the show notes. Sean Patterson for help on graphics. Theme music, as always, by Analemma. So I'm going to leave you with this. In the wake of today's conversation, how can you be more mindful about how you're living your day-to-day -day existence? Where is the emotional, physical, mental, and financial clutter in your life that is sort of harboring space in the back of your mind, creating a low-grade anxiety? How can you address that and begin to clear it so that you can focus on what's most important in your life to create beauty, to more fully express your actualized self? So meditate on that, make a list, start putting things into practice, and I'll see you guys back here next week. Thanks for the love. See you soon. Peace. Plants. Yeah.